Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and we're going to read from verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I free, flee from thy presence? If I ascend up in heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness as the light are both alike to thee. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that thou art a great, mighty, and awesome God, and we thank you that we worship a God who hears us and cares about us and a God who gave to us your word that we might explore it, understand more about you, that we might better serve you day by day. Guide us now, we pray, as we open up your word. Lord, may your spirit take your word and apply it to our hearts and lives. We thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that you give me wisdom from on high, that I might speak your word according to your will. And our hearts might be blessed, Father God, by the word of God today as we join together in this place. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week in our study on the character of God, we began a study into the attributes of God. And we said that attributes simply mean characteristics. They speak of those things that God has, those characteristics of God that God has revealed about himself to us so that we might know a little bit more about him. Now we know that we never fully understand how great our God is because he is past our understanding. But God has revealed himself to us in his word and he's done so by giving us his essence and his attributes. He tells us about his characteristics. And last week we reviewed the first of these attributes. We looked at his omniscience, that God is all-knowing here in Psalm 139. Today we're going to start focusing on the second of the omni-attributes, God's omnipresence. You know, the God that you and I worship, the God that you and I serve, is a God like an, unlike any other God. He's a God unlike anything we know, anything that we, you and I experience. God is infinite. God is not subject to space and time. God is unique. God is omnipresent. So first, let's consider this morning omnipresence defined. Verse 7 says, Wherefore shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? The word omnipresence, of course, is easy to understand because the word omni simply means all. And the word presence has to do with locality, has to do with where he is. So the word omnipresent, therefore, means all or everywhere present. God is everywhere. The omnipresence of God means that there is no place in creation where God does not exist. That's what David says in the psalm here. He says, whither I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? There is nowhere on earth, there is nowhere 
in all of creation where you and I can go where God is not. Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible describes it this way. We can only be in one place at one time. And there are some places where we cannot be. God alone can, all, can be always in all places. He transcends the limitations of space and is present in all places at all times. The Puritan writer Thomas Watson said, God's essence is not limited either to the regions above or to the terrestrial globe, but it's everywhere. God is omnipresent. I read this story this week. The story is told of a missionary in India who found Hindu worshippers tapping on various trees and stones and asking, are you there? They were looking for the presence of their God in the stones and the trees because they, of course, believe in pantheism. They believe that God is in everything. And they were trying to find their God. And for us, fortunately, there is no such trouble because our God is everywhere. We don't have to go looking for him. God is present. A pastor by the name of Davidson said this, Some folks picture God as a faraway being who lives in heaven and occasionally breaks into the world to do some miracle. Not so. God is right here with us right now. When you and I consider the omnipresence of God, what we mean is that God is everywhere at the same time. It doesn't matter where we are in this world, God is there. For instance, he's in Mexico right now, and he's here in Australia right now. He's on board at every ship on the high seas. He's in every aeroplane in the skies, and he's in every spaceship that is in outer space. Right now, God is there all at the same time. Someone has said that God's presence is like the air we breathe. Air is odorless, tasteless, and invisible. So it goes unnoticed, but it's there. God is here. In this room today, God is with us. When we leave here today, God is with us. Wherever we go, God is with us. That's the promise the Lord made to us, wasn't it? I am with you always. He is everywhere present. There is nowhere where God is not. There's no location on this earth. There's no realm of space where God is not there. That's what omnipresence means. God is everywhere. But secondly, I want you to notice with me in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, that omni, uh, secondly, omnipresence illustrated. David illustrates for us in these verses God's omnipresence in three ways. He says that no flight can remove us from God's presence in verses 7 and 8. No distance can separate us from God's presence in verses 9 and 10. And no veil can hide us from God's presence in verses 11 and 12. Now we're going to consider the first of these facts today. And then next week we'll consider the other two. So this morning David first illustrates God's omnipresence by declaring that no flight can remove us from God's presence. That's verses 7 and 8. Wherefore shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. 
David declares here that there is nowhere that we can hide from God. We cannot flee from him. There's nowhere that you and I can flee to where God is not. Somebody said, oh, the wondrous comfort, the sense of God's omnipresence gives. The psalmist first takes the thought into his own heart, then flies with it to the farthest reaches of the universe, and then into the darkest places of being. So as we consider the omnipresence of God, David concluded that no flight can remove us from God's presence. There's nowhere that we can flee to. It's impossible to flee from God. And he explains this fact by, uh, to us by firstly raising two interesting questions here in verse 7. The first question is this, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? That is, how can I run from God who is spirit? Now think about that for a while. It's impossible to run from God who is spirit. That is sheer uh, lunacy to think that you and I can run away from a spirit. It's folly to think that because we cannot see him, he cannot see us. That somehow we can find a hiding place where God cannot see us. You know, it's like a little child who puts his hand over his face and he says, you can't see me. Well, we can see the child, but the child thinks we can't see them because they can't see us. Sometimes we act like that, don't we, with God? You know, God, you can't see me. Well, how foolish is that? Because God is a spirit. He can see us. Now, the psalmist here doesn't wish to go from God. He doesn't want to avoid the power of God. But he asks the question to show the fact that no one can escape from God. No one can flee God. No one can flee the presence of the omnipresent God. No one can flee from the observation of the Holy Spirit. God is watching us. God sees everything. He knows all about us. He sees us. And then the second question he asks in verse 7 is, Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Now the obvious answer is nowhere. Because God is everywhere. But once again, the psalmist doesn't want to flee from God. Or even avoid the presence of the Almighty. He's not saying here, Where can I go to flee from thy presence, Lord? He's asking a rhetorical question. He's saying, whither shall I flee from thy presence? And the answer to the question is nowhere. Psalmist doesn't want to flee from God. He doesn't want to get away from his God. In fact, he desired nothing more than to be near his God. The psalmist here in this psalm points that out in verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in thy way everlasting. Far from wanting to flee from his God, David wanted to be closer to his God. He didn't want to run away. He didn't want to find a place where he could be not found by the Spirit of God, and not found by God's presence. He didn't want to run away from his God. He wanted to run to his God. So when he asks this question, whither shall I flee from thy presence, he's not asking where can I go to hide from thee, Lord? He's simply making a rhetorical question, which says there's nowhere he can go. David is asking a hypothetical question to prove that no one 
can escape. No one can flee from the ever-present God. Matthew Henry said this, Suppose I should be foolish as to think of getting out of thy sight, that I might shake off the awe of thee. Suppose I should think of revolting from my obedience to thee, or disowning a dependence on thee, or shifting myself, alas, whither can I go? Where can we go? If we want to run from God, where can we run? Why would we want to run from His presence? Why would we want to exist in a place where God does not exist? Jonah is one of the best illustrations of the omnipresence of God. Jonah, God's prophet, should have known better, shouldn't he, than try and flee from God. Jonah, however, found out the hard way that you can't outrun God. Let's go to Jonah chapter 1, if you would, please. Jonah chapter 1. If I can find Jonah. All the pages stuck together. There we are. Jonah chapter 1. And verse 1. So now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to the end of that great city and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we read that the prophet was commissioned by God to go to Nineveh. He was to tell them about how wicked they were. And Jonah didn't like the mission that God sent him upon, because Jonah knew that God would show the Ninevites mercy. Look in chapter 4 and verse 2. Verse 1 says, But it did please Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before for unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and a merciful, slow to anger, and a great kindness, and repentest thou of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, Take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah knew that God would show grace, would show mercy to the Ninevites. He knew that if the Ninevites repented, God would save them. And Jonah didn't like their prospects. You see, the Ninevites were moral enemies of Israel. And Jonah wanted no part of God's redemptive plan for the barbarians he knew as the Ninevites. So he tried to flee from the very presence of God. In fact, Jonah fled in the opposite direction than God wanted him to go. Verse 3 of chapter 1 says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What happens here is he sails west, instead of going east. He headed toward Tarshish in what is now Spain, trying to get as far away from Nineveh and as far away from God as he could. And I'm sure that Jonah must have sighed a sigh of relief when that ship set sail from that port of Joppa and headed out towards Tarshish. He must have sighed a sigh of relief. He thought he had got to a place where God was not. What Jonah found out was that God was with him on the ship. Now, everybody here today, I'm sure, know 
what happened to Jonah. He got thrown into the sea, and a big fish swallowed him up. And he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. Look in chapter 1, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God was with him even in the belly of the whale. Because chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Then the Lord prayed, uh, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And verse 10 says, The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry ground. Now Jonah learned the hard way that he couldn't flee from God. The first example of people who tried to flee from God was Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. They were no more successful than Jonah. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, we read the story of them trying to hide from God. You know the story, Adam and Eve have sinned. They've eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for which God said they should not eat thereof. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And in verse 6 it says, And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. She gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they, were, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. They were no more successful than Jonah trying to hide from God. God is everywhere present. You see, truly no flight can remove us from God's presence. We don't need to find ourselves trying, uh, rather don't we often find ourselves trying to do the same thing almost every day? Don't we try to flee from God? You know, we, hide, we run from God, from surrendering to Him, from being separated unto Him. How often do we try and hide our sins from Him? But you know, God is everywhere present. He sees everything. He controls everything. There is no action that you and I do that God doesn't see. There is no thought that you and I have that God doesn't know. There is nothing about us that God doesn't see us do. We can't hide from Him. We can't hide our sin from Him. We can't hide our failure to surrender to Him. We can't hide our failure to obey Him. We can't hide from God. We can hide things from others, but we can't hide from God. He sees everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Now this is not pantheism, but God is everything. For God is described here as a person who is everywhere present. That is, he's in all locations. He's not a being who is every part of his creation. Okay, God is everywhere present, but God is not in this pulpit. Okay, it's not pantheism. God is not found in every object of creation, just God is everywhere. God is everywhere, he's not everything. 
And David knew that. Because of that, David knew that no flight could remove him from the presence of God. There was nowhere he could flee. He couldn't run from God's spirit. He couldn't run from God's presence. And having asked two questions to illustrate this truth, David, secondly, to further illustrate it, to illustrate the truth that you can't flee from God, gives us two interesting places in verse 8. He says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. David now addresses what he would find if he went to the farthest corners of the universe. If he was able to run as far as it is possible to run, to the furthest part of the universe, he tells us what he would find when he got there. David says that even in the utmost and the, and the most remote and distant places of the universe, he expects to meet God there. That's what he says. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. So I expect to find God wherever I go. If I could go the furthest out into the universe, I would find God. If I could go to the lowest depths of the earth, I would find God. There is nowhere where God is not. He first speaks of heaven. He says, if I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. Heaven here speaks of the heavens and includes all that is above the earth. Even under the heavenly place where God is is on his throne. There is nowhere in the heavens or the heaven of heavens where God dwells, where God is not. If you and I could get on a spacecraft and you and I could fly beyond the reaches of what the largest telescope, most powerful telescope has seen of our universe and we could keep on going out, you and I would never escape the presence of God. He's there. The idea here is that even in the remotest parts of the universe, God is there. And it isn't that God gets there ahead of us. It's not that he can outrun us, that, you know, we set sail on a, on a spaceship and head out to the remote regions of the universe that you and I can go further than anybody's ever been and fly beyond the stars and keep on going. That God somehow is quicker than us and he gets there before us. The idea is that God is there at the same time as he is here with us right now. Heaven is a vast place and yet there is no place in the heavens where God is not. We can't flee from God's presence. There is no fleeing, escaping his presence. He's there. And secondly, he says, in verse 8, If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. He speaks of hell here as the opposite of heaven. So the heavens and the heaven of the heavens, where God dwells, is one extremity, and hell is the other extremity. And Spurgeon says, Descending to the lowest imaginable depths among the dead, there should we find the Lord. Now David did not describe what we normally think of hell or the lake of fire 
here. He's not talking about particularly the lake of fire, as you and I would think of it in the book of Revelation. Because the Hebrew word hell here is the Hebrew word shoal, which normally has the sense of the place of the dead. And by implication, the afterlife, the abode of the dead, is meant. Now in the Old Testament, we know that uh, the place of the dead was this place that had two parts, Abraham's bosom and hell. We read about that in the Gospel of Luke, where it talks about the rich man dying and Lazarus dying, and Lazarus and the rich man opened up his eyes, being in hell and in torment, and he saw Lazarus far off. And so this is the place of the dead. It's where uh, the uh, saints of the Old Testament were held until Jesus Christ died on the cross and he led captivity captive and he took them to glory with him. This is what he's talking about, the place of the dead. And in the Jewish mindset, thinking this is in the center of the earth, that's where they perceive this to be, this place of the dead to be in the center of the earth. This, this is where Sheol is. This is where the uh, Abraham's bosom and where hell resides. So when he talks about uh, hell here, he's talking about the lowest depths of the earth. The farthest reach of the universe is heaven. The lowest depths of the earth is Sheol, is hell. Well, David did not use the specific word hell. The sense is the same. Even in hell, God will be present because there is no place where God is not. If you and I could rise to the highest heavens, or you and I could go to the descent of the lowest hell, you and I cannot escape from the presence of God. He will be with us wherever life takes us. Because the truth is no flight can remove us from his presence. No, nowhere, there's nowhere for you and I to flee where God is not. Somebody said this, when you run from God and get to where you're going, you find that you bump into him. And it's true, you can't run from God. We can run, we can hide, but we can't run and hide from God. God is everywhere. One of the greatest comforts in life or death is that God will be there. You know what the psalmist said in Psalm 23 and verse 4? He said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. One of the great comforts for you and I as believers is that God is omnipresent. There is no way that you and I can escape from his presence. Wherever we go, whatever we do, God is there. And as we'll see in the rest of the psalm here that he talks about the omnipresence of God, wherever we go, whatever we do, God is with us. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we love, an omnipresent God. It can be truly said that no flight can remove us from God's presence. You know, God doesn't promise us that we won't go through difficult circumstances. God never promises you and I that we won't go through trials. He doesn't promise us that we won't go through circumstances that cause us grief and heartache. But he does promise that he will be with us through them. 
that whatever we encounter, that wherever we go throughout our life, day by day, whatever circumstance we face, whatever dark valley we go through, whatever storm we encounter in the midst of the sea, He will be with us. The all-present God will be with us wherever life takes us. He will lead us in the right direction for the right purpose. You know, there's great comfort in the assurance of his guiding hand through life. What a joy it is to know that we have an omnipresent God. Next week, we'll consider verses 9 through 12. This is the last two of the illustrations of the omnipresence of God. For now, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Father, for the truth of thy omnipresence. Father, there is no place that we can flee where thou art not. And therefore, the confidence we can have is that wherever we go, you are there. That whatever we encounter, you are there. That whatever valley we go through, you are there. Whatever storm we encounter, you are there. That, Lord, you're present always. Father, help us to give thanks for the omnipresence of our God. and Help us to live in the knowledge of your presence, that we might obey you and honor you in all things. Bless now as we close the hymn, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.